Good morning. Today is November 7th, 2013, and I'd like to welcome you to this edition of Understanding the Law. I'm your host, Peter Lamont. I'm a business and personal law attorney and the principal of the law offices of Peter J. Lamont. The firm has offices in New York, New Jersey, Colorado, Puerto Rico, and affiliated offices throughout the country. Understanding the Law is a weekly radio broadcast where we discuss a variety of legal topics that affect our listeners. Please note that this broadcast does not constitute legal advice and does not create an attorney-client relationship with any of our listeners. As always, we welcome calls from our listeners, and if you would like to discuss any of today's topics, or if you have a separate legal question, I encourage you to give us a call at the switchboard, which is, uh, the number for there is uh, 347-855-8831, and we'll try to get through as many calls as possible. Well, today we are going to talk about uh, the issue of gun safety, gun control, and I want to reference what occurred earlier this week at the Garden State Plaza shopping mall in New Jersey. Uh, Garden State Plaza is owned by the Westfield Group, and it's one of the largest malls in the country, and it is the largest mall in New Jersey. Um, it's a multi-level mall for those of you who are unfamiliar with the setup and it's really expansive. It's a, it's a massive amount of space. What happened Monday night was that a 20 year old, uh, entered the mall. He was armed with a gun, which he had taken from his brother. The gun was legally owned by his brother. And from media accounts, um, it's explained that the gun, which is reported to be a 22 caliber rifle, had been modified, at least from a visual standpoint, to resemble uh, an AK-47 assault rifle. So on Monday night, right before closing, this 20-year-old man entered the mall and began shooting at the ceiling and cameras and other targets, but he did not shoot apparently at anyone and no one was injured. Obviously there was a massive police presence. There were well over a hundred police officers. There was SWAT and, 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 you know, other highly trained tactical teams that had come in to secure them all. And ultimately after sweeping the entire mall and securing the various areas, they found the body of, of the gunman. He had uh, killed himself and was uh, laying dead in a remote portion of the mall. So guns have been something that have been highly debated uh, for years and, and gun rights. And you've got groups like the NRA, the National Rifle Association, who obviously have a lot of political pull and are proponents of the constitutional right to bear arms. So clearly there is a constitutional right and it, it derives from our forefathers and the landscape or uh, status of the country at that time. You know, we had just uh, gotten out of the Revolutionary War and laws were being put together that gave the now new United States citizens right to bear weapons to protect themselves. It was a different world. 
Uh, but that constitutional right has followed through to the present day. And um, I'm not taking a position one way or the other. I, I do think that it is a constitutional right. I do think that um, we have a right to have weapons. Um, but how we use them, who is authorized to obtain them, that's, that's an issue that needs to be discussed. Uh, I think in general we should be looking at a civilization here in the United States that has less government control. Um, and unfortunately, it, it doesn't seem to be going in that direction. Let's talk specifically about the topic of guns and gun control and whether or not this idea of a smart gun, which we've talked about before, would have prevented an incident like the Garden State Plaza mall, you know, shooting. Obviously, again, it was hurt. And there are those people out there who are feeling sympathy for the gunmen, um, obviously had some sort of imbalance. Uh, there was reports that he was on drugs. But regardless, when he entered the mall with a rifle, his intention was either to injure, to create chaos and panic. Uh, there's really no other reason for anyone to go into a mall armed, wearing a motorcycle helmet, without having the intent to do something uh, that's obviously illegal. Even if himself, he would have been arrested and he would have been convicted of multiple felonies. So clearly, what he did was unlawful. So for those people that want to argue that he was a troubled child and um, you know didn't know what he was doing, I don't buy that argument. He was an adult. He knew what he was doing. He was capable of living in society. He had a job. And what he did was premeditated. And even though he didn't take a life other than his own, it was unlawful. Now, we've talked about in various blog posts and other writings, and, and I think even on the air once before, about this idea of smart gun technology. And what I've said before is that New Jersey has already enacted a law, and this is pretty strange because years ago this law went into effect that says when smart gun technology is available, every gun sold in New Jersey will be equipped with this smart gun technology. Now, it hasn't happened yet. They're still developing it. So let's talk about what smart gun technology is. Essentially, uh, it is a device that is either fitted to or incorporated into handguns, um, most often microchip-related, that sends a signal to a bracelet or other wristband type um, you know, piece of jewelry, uh, for lack of a better word. And if the user of the gun is wearing the wristband and the microchip senses it, it will essentially unlock the weapon and allow you to fire it. Uh, but if you don't have the wristband, then the gun is um, of no use. It won't fire. So the theory behind this is it's meant to protect the families of lawful gun owners, people who have a handgun in their house 
and they want to make sure that their children are safe. Uh, if the wristband is kept in a different place than the gun and a child does obtain the gun, without the wristband, they won't be able to harm themselves or anyone else. Now, there are those people that argue that smart gun technology would have prevented something like what occurred at the Garden State Plaza on Monday. And I've talked to a number of people this week who have differing opinions. You know, those people who have said, yes, it would help, their belief is or their position is that while the gun was owned lawfully by the shooter's brother, had there been smart gun technology equipped on this rifle, the shooter would not have been able to utilize the weapon. But that assumes, first of all, that the shooter access to the wristband that would have transmitted the signal to the gun and essentially unlocked it. And it assumes, you know, that he wouldn't have found another gun, another, you know, instrument to use as a weapon. Now, on the other end of, of, of the camp, you know, you've got people that say, well, people kill people. People are the problem, and it's not the guns. And regardless of what sort of uh, safety measures you put in place, what sort of technological devices that you put on these guns, it's not going to help. <clears throat> Excuse me. It's not going to help. It's people. And their argument extends into if somebody really wants to obtain a gun, they're not going to go to a store and purchase it legally. They're going to obtain it on the street. That's why, you know, you, you end up having crimes where the serial numbers on the guns have been filed down so that you can't track the, the weapon. And those are the kind of people that, regardless of what safety measures you put in place, they're never going to play by the rules. They're, they're, the safety measures will never protect you from everyone. And they continue and, and state that, just because you've got this technology, it doesn't really mean anything, and it certainly wouldn't have prevented what happened uh, at the Garden State Plaza Mall. So there's the two schools of thought on this. Now, smart gun technology has not been fully proven. It's um, being produced and developed now. It's being tested in Europe being tested uh, throughout the world, but most of the people that we've spoken to about the topic have essentially confirmed that it's not truly yet ready for mass market consumption. It's not ready or tested enough to be equipped on all new handguns. So it's still something that's being worked on. But even when it's ready, is it really going to make a difference? Is it really going to stop people or a weapon of some sort and committing crimes? I mean, nobody can go out and purchase an automatic assault rifle legally, at least not in New Jersey. You couldn't go to a store and purchase an AK-47 fully automatic 
So where are these people getting these weapons? And I'm not referring specifically to Garden State at this point because we know that, that it was a regular legal 22 caliber rifle which had been aesthetically modified. But some of these other um, incidents that have occurred throughout the country, people that are getting these guns are getting them illegally. They're not going to benefit, at least from what we've seen, from having some sort of smart gun technology. Now, if you are someone who does own a gun and you are taking safety precautions in your house, you have got children. And a lot of, of people that we've talked to, a lot of attorneys that I know uh, who are proponents of guns and have guns, both for sport and protection, and have children, are extremely responsible with the weapon. They make sure that the weapon is locked into a safe or lockbox, that the ammo are kept separate from the weapon, that it's put in a place where their children cannot get to it, don't know where the, the key is or the code is. And so those people don't seem to have uh, much benefit from this, this new technology because they're already doing the right thing. It's the people that are irresponsible and that maybe owning a gun to begin with that you have to worry about, and obviously the criminals, people who are obtaining weapons illegally. Now, that brings us into an interesting um, issue that I saw this week. So I'm talking about, at this point, that smart gun would work, and really, is, is that the answer, or is the answer more governmental control? or better screening procedures on people trying to obtain weapons lawfully. Again, this does not help, none of these safety measures help protect us from those people who are going to obtain weapons illegally. They're not going to submit to background checks. They're not going to be fingerprinted. They're not going to adhere to smart gun technology rules. They're not gonna have a valid serial number on a gun. These people are criminally uh, minded. They are, are, are going to do something illegal, unlawful. They know it. And so they're not going to play by the rules. We're talking about the area of population that are, are seeking to obtain a gun the proper way. Now, last year, the school shooting that occurred in December, from what we know now, the gunman was unbalanced, mentally unbalanced, a little unstable. And his mother, you know, obviously had a weapon in the house, which he had access to, intentionally or negligently had access to it, and, uh, and, and obviously committed a mass murder. She obtained that gun lawfully, but clearly she didn't secure the gun or maintain the gun in a proper fashion. So is the answer smart gun technology? Well, if she didn't maintain the gun in a proper uh, or safe manner, what's to say that she would have maintained the wristband with the microchip in it in a, in a reasonably safe manner? Now, people, unfortunately, can be lazy 
and foolish, and they think that things will never happen to them. And when it does, you know, it rocks your world, and, and at that point, it's too late. So those people who want to argue that people kill people and not guns, there is an element to truth in that. You know? And there's also some truth to the idea of uh, creating better protection for screening of, um, of gun purchases and, and perhaps giving some mandatory safety courses concerning storage, use, and that sort of thing. But again, you could have someone sit through 25 hours worth of courses. You could have all of the you know, technology that you want, and you could still have somebody be negligent and allow their child to get the gun. Now, speaking about screening, um, there's an administrative case in New Jersey. Uh, it's uh, entitled The Matter of the Appeal of Garabo from the Denial for New Jersey Firearms Purchaser's ID Card and Permit to Carry a Handgun. This is actually currently in the appellate division. Um, well, just actually was decided by the appellate division. So uh, this is a, a very recent case of, of this week. What happened here is that uh, this gentleman, Louis Garabo, went to apply for a firearm purchaser's ID and a permit to carry a handgun. So he's, he's going to um, follow the rules. He wants to legally obtain a permit to get a handgun. And he applies to Stafford Township, and the chief of police there denies his application for a permit because his son has a criminal conviction, and the gun that Garabo sought to purchase was to be secured within the residence, which obviously is the same place that the son with the criminal record resides. So he appeals and gets up to the appellate division, and the appellate division affirmed the lower court's ruling and said that, you know, it's within the public interest to prevent individuals with criminal convictions access to firearms. Now, the son with the criminal conviction is not seeking to obtain the firearm. But if you look at the language in the, in the judges or the appellate division panel's ruling, it says to prevent individuals with criminal convictions, access to firearms. So the key word here is access. And clearly, if the father was to bring in a firearm, that access would be uh, available to the son who has the criminal conviction. And you could argue that the father would lock it up and, and protect it, but the way that the, the wording of the appellate panel's decision is it is very broad so the question is is that fair now, does that take away from Mr. Garabo's rights under the Constitution both the Constitution of the United States and the Constitution of New Jersey to own a firearm his background is clear he's done nothing wrong so is it fair to say that he cannot have a handgun or a permit because his son has a criminal conviction. That's that's a, you know to you to decide. Um, you could see the benefit to it. 
and you could also see potential impact that it would have on the rights of the individual to bear arms. And it, it leads us down a slippery slope. How much governmental control should there be over our inalienable rights? And this is a debate that's gone on for years and years, and you've got people that are on one end of the, uh, the spectrum, extreme uh, people, extreme um, you know, groups that believe that you need to, to rise up and, and rebel against the government. And then you've got those people on the left who believe that the way to ensure prosperity and safety in this country is to have more governmental control. And it's really, it's something that I think we are going to see more and more of as far as the debate and the actual use of control. Let's look at what happened recently with the uh, NSA disclosures that they have been spying on the electronic communications of not only just foreign dignitaries and foreign presidents, but of, of us, of individuals within the United States. We have had our electronic communications monitored by the NSA. Now, Obviously, they argue that it's in the interests of protecting the citizens of the United States. But what's the line? Where does that line get drawn? You know, let's look at Garden State Plaza. What is the solution here? What could Garden State Plaza, or any mall for that matter, have done to prevent what happened Monday night? And the answer is nothing. You cannot prevent somebody from coming into the mall unless you start to employ very, very um, restrictive rules and procedures. What's the next thing? Are you going to have the TSA standing in front of the mall, screening you as you walk in, going through a body scanner to make sure that you don't have anything that could constitute a weapon? But then on, on the other hand, when you go to a shopping mall, don't you want to be safe? Don't you want to know that as you walk your children through the mall, as you're shopping for school shoes and Christmas presents and birthday presents, don't you want to know that you are safe? So really, this is an open debate, and you could really take either position. Um, but it really is, is something that uh, I don't think is over. I think it's you're going to see it more and more. I mean, 10 years ago, for example, there were no cameras on intersection stoplights, traffic lights. Now, in just about every small town in America, intersections have cameras on their traffic control lights. Is that spying? Is that important? What's the purpose of it? Again, you're going to have those people that argue that the purpose of that is to document accidents, to keep the general public safe by having access to a camera that can see what's going on at the intersection. Clearly, cameras at intersections have had an impact on the way lawyers handle cases. You know, 10, 20 years ago, you might get a client that, that came into the office and said, I was in a car accident at an intersection. And it's, you know, the, the other driver's fault and I want to sue them. 
and the attorney would go through a large number of investigative steps. They'd look at the police report. They'd look at where the damage occurred on their client's vehicle, the front corner panel, the rear, what kind of argument could they make, and there was a lot left open for interpretation. And as the attorney, you would try to present your case to the jury and convince them that your driver was not at fault, but the other driver is the culprit here. Now, with cameras at intersections, attorneys request copies of the footage from that day, and then they're able to see exactly what happened. So is it good? Is it bad? I don't know. You know, it certainly helps cut down on frivolous lawsuits, but it doesn't prevent them, that's for sure. And it doesn't prevent potential clients from coming into an attorney's office and lying. But getting back to the Garden State Plaza or the malls in general, how do you keep a mall safe? Do you employ more security guards? Should they all carry weapons? Should there be metal detectors throughout the mall and body scanners? Doesn't that start to intrude into our freedoms? Doesn't it start to feel like it is a police state when that happens? Look at the complaints that people have made about the TSA. Now, whether you like Jesse Ventura or not, he has been very vocal about his situation with the TSA and what's happened to him. And I can tell you from experience that depending upon who you get, you could have uh, a, a very big hassle with, with the TSA. You know, I happen to have a, um, a fake hip. I had a hip replacement from sports injuries years ago. When I go through the line at, at an airport, the fact that I've got a, a hip implant and that I show them my card is meaningless. I've got a son who has a pacemaker. He's seven years old and he has a pacemaker. Now, I've not taken him on a plane, but a lot of the parents that we know throughout the country and you know some that are, are in Canada and Australia, they have expressed concern because when they travel to the United States, they have had their children, and now we're talking about kids, five to ten years old, who have pacemakers. It's a very small percentage of the population, but it's something that is out there. I, my son has it, so it's, it's something that you know, is, is out there. Well, these parents have had their children removed from, from them in line and secured in a private room where the parents are not allowed to enter, and the children are oftentimes patted down, some have been strip-searched. So where does it end? And, you know, when you talk to, to people in government and you say to them, well, why is this happening? How could a seven-year-old be a potential threat? They relate tales of, of what happens in other countries. Well, you know, in Israel, um, there have been people that have, have been six, seven years old that they use as vehicles to commit terroristic acts. You know, how do you argue with that? And, and it's the government, so what, what do you do about it? You, know, you stop flying, 
I mean, John Madden doesn't fly, but it's not because of the GSA, but it's everyone now, you know, just drives to their destinations and you can't go overseas. You know, a lot of these, these parents of these kids with pacemakers, they don't want to fly because of what goes on here. So what's the solution? What's the answer? I don't see the answer being smart gun technology. I think that it has some benefit. I think that it certainly is something that should be employed and, and, and applied to handguns. I think it's a good idea, but it's not the cure-all. It's not something that's going to resolve the situation that we have in this country because it does nothing to prevent those people who want to commit a crime from doing so. So it's interesting like to see how the smart gun technology evolves and develops, and we'd like to see it once it's put into place. But I don't want anyone to fool themselves into believing that this is going to prevent gun violence. Now, it will prevent some accidental deaths, accidental incidents. It'll prevent from some forms of negligence. Uh, you know, an individual leaves the gun case unlocked, but has been intelligent enough to secure the uh, microchip bracelet in another location. So there you'd have a positive example, but it's not going to prevent what we have. You know, today in the news, they're talking about how with the reopening of Garden State Plaza, because it was closed Tuesday following the shooting, that uh, there's a, a larger police presence. And workers now at the mall were, were checked in by mall security and given ID tags with their name in store. So they've got additional private security guards and eight additional Paramus police officers now patrolling the mall. Now, after an incident like this occurs, everyone obviously is vulnerable and they feel this sense of panic and fear. And so it seems as though it's the right thing to do to have increased police presence. But where does it end in this country? Where does it go from here? How much control is too much control? How much protection starts to become big brother versus actual protection? So those are all questions that I throw out. Um, I don't take a position on it other than with respect to the smart gun technology. The fact is that it does serve a purpose. It does have a beneficial effect, but it is not going to stop what goes on with respect to gun violence. So think about this. Look into the uh, developing technology and, you know, really the best thing that, that you can do if you are a gun owner is to make sure that you are following all proper safety procedures. Make sure that the gun is secured. Make sure that you talk to your children about safety. You know, a lot of the people that I know personally who live in areas where they're hunters, they teach their children from a very young age about gun safety. And you know, you've not really heard about someone who's grown up hunting or uh, with a gun out on a farm or you know, in, in uh, 
you know, not remote portions of the country, but in, in more rural areas, those, those kids that have learned about gun safety from a young age, you typically don't hear about them doing things that are, are you know, violent acts. You know, Columbine, for example. Now, these were average, run-of-the-mill kids. They weren't kids that had grown up on a farm or out in Texas and had been uh, instructed as to gun safety. So it's interesting when you look at that element of the population who have grown up with guns and they know how to treat them and they teach their children about gun safety. So I throw that out there um, because what burden, and and I'm now starting to talk about legally, what burden do you have as a gun owner to protect your family and the general population from improper use. I'll tell you a story about a case a number of years ago that we were involved in where a mother was a single mom and she had um, two jobs just to, to keep her family afloat. She had two boys. And the one boy was um, a little bit different. He was more of uh, an introvert. He was shy. And when he got into high school, he started hanging out with what most of us would consider the wrong, wrong crowd. There were some you know, neo-Nazi ideas and Aryan white power ideas. And you know, when, when you talk about those sorts of things, especially in this particular scenario, these kids... They didn't understand what World War II was about. They didn't understand what was going on. They are influenced by movies like American History X, which actually has a very powerful anti-discriminatory, anti-Aryan message, which is, you know, essentially Ed Norton's character, who was in his youth a leader of a, of a white supremacist group, going to jail, biased crimes that he committed, and befriending some African-Americans who ultimately teach him that, hey, this whole white supremacist stuff is nonsense, and, and you've got to let it go because we're all people. And it's got this very powerful message, and it is not a movie whose goal is to talk people into white supremacy groups. It's clearly not. But unfortunately, a lot of kids, they see movies like that, and they don't really understand. All they see is the portion of the movie where you know, he's in a, in a group uh, of other white supremacists. And so these kids in this particular case, they had gotten wrapped up into this world. They didn't understand what a swastika meant or stood for. They, they were just very, very immature foolish kids. And so, in order to make a statement, in order to rebel, this introverted, very shy kid had a Nazi flag in his room, had a picture of of Hitler in his room, and would occasionally have friends over who were also, you know, what they believed to be white supremacists. And the mom knew about it. 
but she really didn't think much of it. She assumed that it was a phase. She knew that there was something going on, but maybe he'd grow out of it. She was honestly just happy that, that the kid had friends because he had been so painfully shy. Now, there was a gun in the house that the mother had legally purchased to keep her and her sons safe. You know, again, she's a single mom, and so she wanted to have some sort of protection. So, one weekend, the boy who lived in the house, the older boy, decided that he was going to have his friends come over, and it included a girl who also was in the white supremacist movement. And when they got over, they went in the basement, and they started listening to skinhead neo-Nazi music and talking about this other girl who was not a white supremacist who had hit on the neo-Nazi girl's boyfriend. And so the white supremacist girl was extremely angry over the fact that this other girl, who was just an, an average nice girl, had the nerve to hit on her boyfriend. So they hatched this plan to lure the girl over to the house, and they were going to threaten her and scare her and make sure that she stayed away from the Aryan girl's boyfriend. And after some alcohol and uh, a lot of joking and laughing and concocting, they ultimately made a phone call to this girl and they asked her if she wanted to come over. And the girl, not realizing that this was some sort of neo-Nazi group or white supremacist group, agreed. And she thought that maybe she was going to work out this beef that she had with the Aryan girl over the boyfriend. So when she gets over to the house, it's just the girl. And she says, hey, listen, you know, across the street, we're having a little bit of, party, of a party in the woods because there was a wooded area that was adjacent to uh, this house, um, you know, densely wooded so that you could walk 15, 20, 30, 50 feet into the woods and, um, you know, kind of be obscured from view uh, from, from outsiders. So she said, let's go. We've got a little uh, campfire going. So the girl, you know, didn't know any better, and she went with the Aryan girl into the woods. And as she walked into the woods, one of the, the boys hit her from behind in the head with a two-by-four and knocked her unconscious. They, you know, removed her clothes, they raped her, and um, beat her, and then left her in the woods, and they all went back to the house. And so, hours later, this girl, you know, regains consciousness. She starts, you know, um, you know staggering down the street, blood dripping from her head, she's naked, and you know, eventually a neighbor sees her, picks her up, and, and gets help for her. Now, what I didn't tell you is that in the woods, one of the kids had taken the mother's gun 
and brought it with them to intimidate. But there was no need for it because the other guy hit this girl in the head with a two-by-four. That wasn't part of the plan. It was just a spur of the moment. Hey, let me hit her over the head. And so the gun was never used, but it was in the possession of this kid. Ultimately, criminal charges are filed. and Beyond that, there's a civil suit. And the civil suit seeks to recover damages from the mother. Well, how could this happen? What, what did the mother do? The mother didn't commit this crime. Well, unfortunately for parents, and it's something that parents need to be aware of, negligent supervision of their child or children is an actionable um, legal claim in the United States. And so the mother was sued under a theory of negligent supervision. And the way that it was argued was that the mother knew or should have known of the child's propensity for violence based solely upon the music that he was listening to and the decor, and we're just going to use decor very lightly, decor in his room, mainly the Nazi flag and the picture of Hitler, which um, the attorneys argued is innately hostile and aggressive. You know, having a picture of Hitler... There's no reason to do that other than the fact that you are seeking to act out on some aggressive, um, you know, beliefs or, or philosophy. And it was a very, very, very long case. And um, the handgun was also thrown into the mix. And the woman was accused of gross negligence because she had allowed the handgun to be kept in a drawer where it wasn't in a lockbox, and the theory was, had this other kid not knocked the girl out with the two-by-four, that it could have been deadly. It was bad enough, but it could have been deadly because of, uh, of the handgun. So I throw that out to show you how negligence of a gun owner and obviously even beyond the gun itself, but just negligent supervision uh, can impact your life as, as a parent. And I want to say, you know, beyond the, the gun discussion that we've been having today, just an issue itself. As a parent, you need to make sure that you speak to your children, whether it's about gun safety or parties in the house or whatever it might be. But you could be personally liable for injuries that occur to others based upon your, your children's acts and actions. And just like that mom who argued, hey, I didn't know. I just thought that my son was just being rebellious. I didn't know that he was involved in a neo-Nazi group. Well, she was ultimately found liable. And, you know, unfortunately for her, her homeowner's insurance only covered a portion of the damages and didn't cover uh, that section of, of damages that was awarded uh, from a punitive standpoint. 
So I think we have a caller. Let's see uh, if we can bring them on the line. It looks like we lost them. Uh, so, you know, the idea here is that as parents, you need to be very, very aware of what you do uh, with respect to um, discussing safety issues and, and things with your children, be it about gun safety or otherwise, because you know, aside from you not wanting anything to happen to your children or to others around you, there's also this this financial liability that could be out there. Um, even something as simple as uh, a party that uh, has no alcohol in it, but just a party that, that happens at the house. So I, I just want to bring that to your attention. We do have a caller. Hello? Hello there. Hi. Hello. Can you yes, I can hear you. So uh, this Peter, is, is that... yes, Robert. That's me. How are yeah, you today? How are you doing? Good. So we have Robert. Listeners all over the world now. Say that again. I said you have international listeners now. Okay. <laughs> so this is Robert McNamara, and uh, Robert, thank you for calling in. He owns a company called Trigger Smart, and um, this is is one of the technologies that we were talking about earlier concerning uh, smart gun technology and the idea of securing handguns with this this new technology we talked about the laws in new jersey and how they've already been um you know enacted and they're just waiting for the technology to develop so robert what can you tell me about your company and the product that you're working on well what we're working on is um a radio frequency identification based personalized handgun so that only the authorized user can fire the weapon and you can mate the um, gun with an RFID tag, so only the authorized user can fire the weapon when he's wearing that tag. So, for example, in the case uh, in the shopping plaza recently where Richard Shoup took his brother's gun and went to the mall, he could have um, caused havoc. Fortunately, um, a lot of people were, were saved, I suppose, um, but if his brother hadn't had kept the tag in a safe place, his brother Richard would not have been able to pull uh, the trigger. All right. So the idea is that there's a microchip in the uh, in the wristband that authorizes or unlocks the the handgun, right? Yeah, it's a wireless tag. It's, it's, uh, it doesn't require any power in the tag. The, the power source needs to be um, in the handle of the gun that picks up the signal from the tag and disables the blocking mechanism and then the, the, you can pull the trigger. Without that, the gun is disabled. All right, now is your company actually producing this technology now? Is this available or is it still being developed? It's still being developed. We're, we have prototypes. We know the technology works. Um, we have patented our technology in America and another 56 countries worldwide. At this uh, stage, we're um, I suppose we have to carry out some further testing now before we get to a production um, stage where we get a, a production model that's been fully, first of all, tested in the lab and then tested in the field and then probably independently tested. We've been speaking to the Picatinny Arsenal people there in New Jersey. Right. Um, but we need a bit of funding to get us to the, um, the stage where um, 
these will be in mass production. Well, we're what we're actually pushing at is, is childproof gun. I know that um, this is like a seatbelt in a car. It's not going to, if you hit a wall at 100 miles an hour, it's not going to save your life, but it might help save you if you hit a wall at 20 or 30. Likewise, um, smart guns are not going to um, um, wipe out any accidental discharges, but what they will do is if a five-year-old happens to pick up or find daddy's gun under the bed, at least he won't be able to discharge it without the tag. Likewise, if um, an intruder in the home happens to break into your house and overpower, maybe your wife is at home and um, the intruder overpowered your wife, got the gun, at least he wouldn't be able to fire, fire the weapon. So it, it, would, it should be able to help prevent a lot of accidental discharges and injuries. Um, I think um, about 800 people are killed annually as a result of accidental discharges and about 12,000 injured. So this should help reduce those numbers, like, um, and, and it's just a common sense safety thing. Right, so it's, it's definitely another, a good thing. Part about it, please, go on. It's definitely a, a good thing. I talked about earlier the fact that it's not going to prevent, you know, criminal activity because criminals are going to find a way to get a weapon. They're not going to play by the rules. They're not going to go and... And, and, and do the things, you know, take the proper steps in order to get a handgun or a rifle. They're going to go out and they're going to obtain it illegally. But the idea behind the smart gun technology is what, exactly what you said, to, present, to prevent accidental discharges. And, you know, those deaths that occur from, you know, even negligence of a legal gun owner. Now, if you look at... If you look at um the history of some of these mass shootings in America, I think more than 90% of those shootings um, were with um, legally held firearms and not yeah. illegally, not illegal guns, but actually legally held ones. I, the incident in Connecticut last year were all in uh, Sandy Hook. Um, again, Adam Lanza, he took his mother's gun. Now, if his mother had um, trigger smart and enabled or disabled our guns, Adam Lanza would not have been able to um, cause the, the havoc that he did in, in, in the school. And even if, he, you know, I think he had a, num a number of guns with him, even if he only had one gun, I mean, maybe 10 of those kids would still be alive today. We'll never know. Another yeah, no. part of our technology is we have the ability... I heard you mentioning there a while ago how you're going to um, protect the shopping mall without putting TSA guys at every door and frisking right. people or whatever they have to do. Well, part of our technology also has the ability to remotely disable guns and to create safe zones. Now, this wouldn't create a safe zone around a whole city or a big area, but you could create a safe zone around an airport or a shopping mall. So, that, you know, we say typically there's only one or two um, ways into an airport. So anybody trying to bring a gun, but it would have to be a smart gun in that area, their gun could be remotely disabled. But, that does, but you can still um, enable um, law enforcement guns within that area. Also, um, another question that's very often asked is, um, what about if, um, if your partner or you want somebody else to, to be able to um, fire your gun in an emergency? Well, you can have um, 
partner recognition or group recognition on these guns. So three, four, five, ten people in our, our police department, you could have a situation where any person can fire their partner's gun. So all those things are, are programmable and, and um, can be sorted out. No, it seems like it's, it's really um, an excellent idea. It's advancing, advancing technology. You know, it, it still, you know, raises the question of control over, your, you know, rights of citizens. But I think that, you know, that's a debate that will go on forever as far as, um, you know, creating a safe zone. What's, what's the safety benefit versus the loss of freedom and control of the government to disable things? But that, that's another topic. I think that in general developing is something that is very beneficial that can help prevent, you know, accidental deaths. And, and again, I, I think we have to stress the fact that even if somebody is in possession of a smart gun, they can be negligent. You know, you could have a homeowner who has obtained a gun lawfully. They have a smart gun. They have the, uh, the transmitter, but instead of it locked or keeping the transmitter separate from the gun, you know, they leave it out in the altar altogether, and then a, a, a teenager could still access it. So there is still responsibility on the part of the gun owner. Would you agree with that? It's like you, your car. I don't know. It, you might have your car parked outside in your outside your office where you are now in the car park. Well, I'm sure you have the keys in your pocket. So if you leave the keys in the car and the car open, it makes it an awful lot easier for the bad guy to steal your car. So it's just a bit of um, common sense safety. And it's just another layer. If you leave your car open, it's basically just open season for the thief. Whereas if you right. lock it and you're going to lock it or if you have a safety system on your gun, it's another layer of security. I'm sure you locked the door when you left your house this morning. It's just... Yep. It's a simple safety which hopefully will save lives, not save every life, but reduce the amount of accidents. Like I think any sensible person recognizes now that seatbelts work and airbags help reduce injuries and fatalities. And uh, hopefully um, safety in guns can help um, save some lives, especially amongst small children and accidental discharges. Yes, I think what you're doing is a, is a really good thing. Um, can you give us some information, your website, or um, if you're taking uh, contributions, if you're looking for people to help uh, raise awareness or, or to make some donations, how could people get in touch with you? Yeah, uh, we have a website, uh, triggersmart.com. That's www.triggersmart.com. And there's a couple of demonstrations on our website of our prototype in, in action. In fact, we just posted one a few days ago there where the Discovery Planet came over to Ireland during the summer and made a, a short, about six, seven minute um, documentary on our technology, and that's quite informative. Um, no, I, I, yes, you can send me money, but we're, we're not actually, we're a very small company, privately owned, just two guys, two co-founders. Yes, we have funded it to the stage we're at, basically out of my own pocket. And we've got to the stage where we have prototypes. Georgia Tech in Atlanta have been a big um, help to us. They were our R&D partners. And we're hoping to get some funding um, 
in America, there's a group called the Sandy Hook Innovation Initiative set up, supported by some Silicon Valley um, entrepreneurs, basically um, promising to um, support the Sandy Hook people with some funding to invest in um, smart gun technology development. So we're hoping to get funding that way. Um, yes, we're looking for R&D partners, and um, either equity partners or some people are interested in supporting our technology, maybe by helping provide facilities. Or Ideally, we'd like to find a team up with a gun manufacturer to mature the technology. All right. Well, thank you. Uh, thank you very much, Robert, for being on today. And you know, I, I certainly wish you the best with the product. I think it's uh, a very good idea. I think it can actually help save a lot of people uh, who are injured or killed as a result of accidental discharges. So, um, you know, I do wish you the best, and I would like to extend, um, you know, the opportunity to have you back on the show at a later date to uh, to check in and see where you are progress-wise. So thank you for being on today. Well, thank you very much for having me. And if any of your listeners would like any information, they can contact me at robert at All right, Robert, thank you very much. That's Robert from TriggerSmart. Thank you again. Thank you. Bye-bye, Robert. All right, so we were fortunate enough to have uh, Robert McNamara from TriggerSmart call in and give us a little background on what he's doing. I think that it's an excellent product. Um, Not going to save everybody, but it will help with accidental discharges. I encourage you to go to Robert's website, TriggerSmart.com, T-R-I-G-G-E-R, S-M-A-R-T, look at the videos, look at the product, and learn more about smart gun technology. Well, that's all the time that we have for today. I'd like to thank you again for joining me. We'll be back next week with more legal and business news. If, over the course of the week, you have any questions or you'd like to discuss a particular legal issue or topic with us, please give us a call, 973-949-3770. Or you can email us directly at info, I-N-F-O, at PeterLamontESQ.com. Until next time, I'd like to thank you again for joining me. And remember that there's power in understanding the law. (laughs) 